The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show today. So glad you can join me amidst the great pause is what it's being called. I was just reading this online. The great pause is what we're experiencing. <laughs> Although, uh, you know, it's not so bad. I'm, I'm in my sweats. You know, it's it's comfortable. It's uh, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm doing the show, uh, you know, live today. So thank you for joining me for this. You know, you might be listening later on podcast. It is available uh, if you do happen to miss the live show. But if you're spinning out there in the cosmos right now on the internet and you happen to be joining the show, welcome, because I am very excited today for my guest. So uh, just to give you a little history, you know, when I was working at Hay House back in the Hay House days, uh, one of the highlights of my week was getting to listen to Dr. Christian Northrup's show, Flourish, every Wednesday, her radio show. And I got to listen for uh, many years. And, you know, I would often answer the phones for this show because I like to listen to what was going on. And I felt that the women on the other end that were calling in to talk to Dr. Northrup, I thought they would be more comfortable hearing a woman's voice instead of my usual call screener who would answer the phone, you know, what's your question, ma'am, kind of barking at them. So I would usher him off and I'm like, no, let me answer the phone for Dr. Northrup. So I would love to talk to the people that called in and I could hear their questions and their fears, but they knew who to call. And the phone lines would always be jammed for Dr. Northrup. She's a visionary pioneer in women's health, and she's been a proponent of medicine that acknowledges the uni unity of mind, body, emotions, and spirit for decades. And her show was just awesome, Flourish. So I'm so happy to have her here. This is so great. As I, I told her before the show, we're bringing the band back together. That so is I'm excited. so true. <laughs> So I'm true. excited to uh, to talk to you about this. So the the reason for the the celebration and and bringing you on is we're celebrating your your seminal book. I mean, this is just such a bible for so many women. Women's bodies, women's wisdom, first published back in 1994, has been fully revised and released and re. Uh, redistributed to the world, <laughs> rebirthed, I guess, to the world, um, including latest innovations and, and research data. So we're going to be talking about that. And I just want to tell you, you know, uh, looking back over this book, I don't know what's been going on. I mean, you made a deal with Beelzebub or something happened, but you've been getting progressively younger on every uh, iteration of this book. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> How are you doing this? Well, what, I, what I told people was that it has to do with um, that I was really old as a child, you know, <laughs> like really. The really, Benjamin Button effect, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Really, really serious. And then um, I think it really all started with my divorce in 1999. And I said to myself, oh, man. I'll be damned if I'm just going to be, you know, um, going into the land of mom jeans and mom haircut and, you know, the end of love and all that. So, you know, right about then I started to think, because, you know, Diane, our whole thing, what has it been for all these years? It's been the law of attraction. 
if you can dream it, you can be it. So why let the culture stop us? Because the culture stops women at every turn. You know, you can't do that. You're not thin enough for this. Um, the world doesn't want to see another middle-aged woman learning how to dance. That was mine. That was my big thing to overcome. <laughs> Well, it's so it's so true. I mean, and you've been fighting against these old societal rules and things that we've been told for years. And it's just so great. And I loved it. Just looking back over the different covers of the book, I'm like, you know, you're you're walking the walk, you know, oh, just yeah. like I just think, like Louise. I mean, yeah, Louise that, did the same thing. That she walked is the very walk. true. And I think that Louise, you know, I think that she is watching out for me, especially now. Can you imagine? What she would have said at this time, she would have gone against all of the mainstream media doom and gloom. Um, she would have found everything you could possibly find to celebrate this time. And, you know, when I think about it, I mean, why would you ever want a book launch in the middle of a, of a pandemic? But it turns out that we're so many people are home and we're looking into our own intuition. In fact, I think that our connections are more solid than they were before. I'm finding a whole new community of like-minded people. And, and there are those that I literally get together with without a mask. We don't do social distancing. I could give you all the science on that. I, I feel very secure in my choice there. But that's because, you know, nobody has uh, a parent at a nursing home that they're going to visit, and you know none of that's going on. Right. But I think Louise would, um, it would be so fun, wouldn't it, to just hear what she has to say about it? We probably could ask her, and she'd come right through. <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> that would be really cool. I would, I would love that. But I did think about that. You know, what would be her, her take on this, and how we handle it, and really. All we have to do, I guess, is look back on how she handled what happened in the 80s with the AIDS crisis. There and you that, go. You know, yeah. that pandemic there and the way she said, we're not going to say ain't it awful and we're going to love ourselves and, and move forward. So, yeah, it would be well, I'm sure she is kind of, you know, looking down and, you know, taking a peek and, and seeing yeah. what's going on. Um, but you know, and a lot of what you address, I mean, th this book is amazing. I mean, what what a work. And, and we'll give a quick shout out to Katie Kuntz, uh, the editor, oh, yes. my friend, <laughs> an editor of Unity Magazine, another another Unity connection here, who I can imagine just, you know, killed herself over this because oh, it is an amazing, amazing work. It really <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Right now she's in the middle of the wisdom of menopause. We're doing that one, too. It's like, you know, I wanted to bookend my career. These are the two big books that I did. Actually, Mother Daughter Wisdom was huge, but. These were the two that really have reached the most people. And I wanted to fully update them, particularly after the Me Too movement. When the Harvey Weinstein news broke in October of 2017, I was on vacation in Florida, Delray Beach. And this, you know how I hadn't turned off the notifications on my phone yet. So the Harvey Weinstein thing came up on my phone and I devoured everything that I could read. And the reason is that it's woman after woman after woman coming forward. And you and I both know, I mean, that was the story of my career is the women would come into my office 
tell me what was going on in their lives. I could relate it to what was happening in their bodies. They'd sit down on the couch in my office. They would start to weep. And I wasn't seeing this kind of connection made anywhere in the OBGYN literature. And that's why I wrote the first edition. I, I, I could not not write it. I actually had to create a language of women's health. What we had, and mostly still have, is a language of women's disease. And the way it's approached is you need this screening, you need that screening, you need this injection, you need that. When in fact, we know, and you know, and I think about Louise's work, I used to have her little blue book in my desk drawer in my very first practice, you know, the uh, mental causes of physical illness. And I get it out. And, you know, for some patients, I could literally bring it out and say, how does this land? And many, many, many times they'd say, oh, my God, that nails it. That just nailed it. Louise was so far ahead of her time. Um, And she was saying all this stuff before I did. But she wasn't a doctor. So, you know, here I was uh, kind of confirming what she knew spiritually and intuitively. And so that's why I wrote the very first edition creating a, a, new, a new language of women's health and also the context of our bodies in, in patriarchy, in, uh, in a mindset where, uh, where pharmaceutical medicine is, is medicine, is conventional medicine, and everything else is um, quackery. So it was a big deal when it first came out. Now... Luckily, uh, you know, the the young women who got this for their high school graduation are now entering menopause. So that's fun. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like a whole new group. (laughs) Right. Isn't that so amazing? I mean, how how proud and just what a sense of accomplishment that must be for you when these women come up to you and say that. I mean, this and this book has been gifted and, and re-gifted and passed along through generations. And and what I think is cool, like thinking about that, of what's going to happen in the future, one of the things you write in the new forward and introduction to this book includes some new dedications. And you say you dedicate this book to all of the scientists and healers of the past, present, and future who have the courage to speak their truth and go forward despite the deadening effects of conventional thinking. <laughs> and I, and I lo- love that. And I'm like, wow, let, let's think like what will happen maybe in the next 20 years, you know, as a new group of, of scientists and, and healers and teachers come forward you know, and the, and your book, this will be one of the building blocks that well, they'll you use. Well, you know, it already. You know, what's interesting is I get I get emails from nurses, from other doctors, who tell me that this book really got them through their training. They they knew there was another way to think, and you know, they probably kept it hidden, you know, in their closet. Um, <laughs> but but there, it's it's also a textbook in uh, nursing schools, certain sociology places. It's very satisfying. I never thought that my work would be accepted in my lifetime, let alone that we'd be, you know, on the fifth edition here. So it's very, um, it's very heartening. And, and I have been strengthened every step of the way, even though, you know, there's still a lot of arrows in my head from the pioneering situation, which (laughs) we don't need to get into, but let, let me just say, this has not been easy, and it has not been uh, something that my profession has embraced. I mean, you know, just as an example, when I first 
delivered a baby and put the baby on the mother's abdomen, my professor nearly choked. He said, my God, you've touched a baby and her hands touched yours and you're no longer sterile. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I just took a baby out of the vagina and the only way to sterilize it is to boil it. I mean, you know, so I had some ways of thinking that were not very well accepted. And, um, you know, even now it has to do with, uh, with a need to upgrade a way of thinking from the Pasteur, it's the germ that makes you sick, to Antoine Beauchamp's, it is the terrain and the imbalance that lets the germ start to grow. And I think we're right on a cusp of shifting so that we regenerate our soil, to regenerate our food, to regenerate our microbiome, and then the germs will be taken care of. They don't become pathogens. Because I've done studies uh, back in my residency where in the middle of the night we would um, go in and take samples of fluid behind the uterus in a place called a cul-de-sac if we thought someone had pelvic inflammatory disease. And I would send those samples in to the person who was doing the study. We found every bacteria known to humanity in, in that area, and most were not overwhelming the immune system at all. So it's important to, you know, not, we focus too long on the one germ, you know, that's going to kill everyone. So you need the one vaccine. But the truth is we have so much more to learn about the virome and the microbiome. We have three times as many bacteria and viruses around and in our bodies than we have cells Wow. It's just, it's so empowering what you share in the book. And you do talk a lot in the beginning about the beliefs that we have and how that affects your body. And especially as women. And in the very first chapter called the patriarchal myth, I I love this, you know, you just shared how you were reprimanded for taking the baby and, and putting it on the mother's stomach. And, And I read something in that first chapter that struck me too, about how, you know, women would apologize for having a a second daughter or having a female Mm -hmm. child and how that memory just stays with us and how we end up apologizing for years after that. And it starts at birth. I was like, wow. I mean, (laughs) that, that really struck me when I read that because it's so true. And what you're trying to do is, is bust some of these myths and get people to ask questions and, you know, educate themselves. But that, that's incredible, the beliefs that we have. <laughs> and you don't even know you have it. No. See, I think that's the thing. We don't know that we have those beliefs. And But they come, here's the thing. I say the body doesn't lie. The body never lies. And every disease that you get has an emotional, a genetic, a physical, um, spiritual component. And it's a hologram, as it were. But what we have... The minute you learn about the mind-body connection, and I know that Louise got this criticism too, uh, then people say, well, you caused your own illness. You know, you you must have brought this on yourself. But it's not a conscious thing. And, uh, you know, I was just talking with Colette Baron-Reed, and she mentioned being gang raped at, I think, the age of 19. uh, And she shared this publicly. Um, which caused pelvic inflammatory disease and, you know, um, no way that she could get the right treatment. And then she found out that her mother 
had been gang raped by Russian soldiers at the same age as her and in the same month years before. So this is the kind of legacy that is passed down in families. And it is our job and our opportunity to change that legacy. But we don't do it by, by feeling like we are to blame for our illnesses, you see. It's about compassion and taking care of the little child inside. Right. And people tend to just overlook those kind of things and just call it woo-woo thinking. And and I know yeah, Louise, you know, would definitely be criticized over, you know, th- well, positive thinking is not going to cure you or stop a, an illness or anything like that, you know, trying to, but it's not that simplistic, right? I mean, you're not just saying think it away. No, it, it's deeper no. than that. You know, that's, I think right. that's what well, people are missing. Well, they are. And you know, remember how Louise was very big on uh, turning things around affirmations, right? So um, my body is always working for me. My life gets better and better. Um, and what she points out is that this doesn't, uh, in the words of Michael Beckwith, that wonderful um, minister in, in L.A., affirmations don't make something happen. They make something welcome. So, And then Louise would say, it's just a thought, and a thought can be changed. And it is very true that our emotions tend to begin with a thought. And, and here's the sobering news. Um, about 96% of our thoughts are negative. And, um, and they beat us up, and they scare us to death, and all of that. And then we have currently, well, always the mainstream media that is selling fear. I was listening to Lee Carroll, another former Hay House author, and Lee said, you know, if a little kid is afraid of the dark, the, the good parent goes in, turns on the light and says, there's nothing to be afraid of here. And then the child grows up with um, their sense of safety and security quite intact and a better immune system. What does our mainstream media do? It's, it, it acts like the worst possible parent. You go into the child's room, you're shaking in fear yourself, and you say to the kid, um, there could be a monster in your closet at any moment. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, and then that would grow up a very terrified child. Well, right now, the mainstream media is acting like a really bad parent. <laughs> right. It's just fear everywhere. And you say that fear creates a cascade of biochemical changes. This this feeling, this fear that we're all being exposed to is taking its toll physically. Mm-hmm. And- and, pe- most, and people are, are not realizing it, That's what's right. happening. I mean, what's really happening in our bodies when, when that fear is there? Here's what happens. You get a uh, cascade of stress hormones from the adrenal glands, cortisol, uh, norepinephrine. You get a plummeting of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a gas produced by the endothelial lining of all the blood vessels in the body. And as a result of that, your serotonin, your dopamine, your beta endorphin, those levels all fall. That's the stuff they give you psych meds for. And so you're literally running on empty and those stress hormones uh, cause you to crave sugar. Then your insulin levels go up. Then the insulin, the high insulin as a result of blood sugar results in 
a strange metabolic phenomenon with the sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, so that those get metabolized down a pathway to more stress hormones. So it's, and, and the end result of all of that is cellular inflammation, which is the root cause of chronic degenerative disease. On the other hand, if you go out and you stand on the earth for 20 minutes barefoot, that will decrease cellular inflammation by 20%. If you get your vitamin D levels to optimal, that decreases cellular inflammation. When you meditate for 20 minutes, uh, there's a 90% decrease in hot flashes if you meditate 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. Getting, uh, and then another thing that helps is getting your heart into cardiac coherence, where the parasympathetic and the sympathetic are completely um, in sync so that you get what's called cardiac coherence. And that has been shown to decrease the, uh, the amount of DHEA in your, in, that your adrenals produce and your ovaries. And that's the mother hormone from which all the other hormones, the sex steroids, are made. So literally feeling gratitude in your heart, feeling peace, feeling happiness balances your hormones and balances your heart rate. So what you have to do right now at this time, uh, read some stuff that is, doesn't scare you to death. Turn out, I saw a, a meme where it says um, the cure for the current pandemic and it was somebody throwing their television set out of the house. <laughs> so, you know, so we, we really have to realize, and Bruce Lipton put this out here fairly recently, he wrote The Biology of Belief, um, our collective consciousness, our electromagnetic field around our brain and around our heart actually changes the planet. So we only need about one in a hundred people to be in a calm, loving space. And it will create a tipping point that will change the control systems that have been uh, controlling us for centuries, really. So we're at that tipping point very soon. Right. I love that you bring that up. Human emotions affect the earth. And it's so true. And Dr. Lipton, of course, is amazing. I, I love his work. And, and what you're describing, there was a story that I heard you say um, on one of your radio shows. And I told you at the beginning, I listened to a lot of them <laughs> over the years. <laughs> and it was a patient that came in who was so afraid of getting breast cancer. And she kept asking about it and wanted to test it and was convinced and just over and over had this thought that this was going to happen. And then when she finally was diagnosed, she her reaction was, oh, thank goodness. Like that's, that's a right. relief. And I, I was, I still remember that story. I was blown away. Oh my God. How could she think that, you know, that, oh, thank goodness. At least now I know it's a good thing that I have it. Wow. You know, I, well, that's, you know, it, she was um, so tired of a friend of mine, a doctor, she calls it surveillance fatigue. You know, she's so tired of going in and every year having another mammogram or checking her breasts or whatever. Because again, if you are in fear mode and if you believe the worst, then all you can do is keep checking, checking, checking. Is it here yet? Is it here yet? Is it here yet? Versus if you heal it inside, which is what women's bodies, women's wisdom is really all about. If you heal it inside, it will heal outside. So her job 
was to actually meet her fear head on and then do reverse engineering on the fear because I'll bet you she would find, would have found that the fear came from some childhood thing that she wasn't even aware of that had scared her to death and she was then trying to control her body and her life from that moment on so that she would never have to feel how vulnerable she felt as a child. Very often you find that is what is at the heart of it. You have a terrified little child. And in fact, I learned from Doris E. Cohen that it is often the terrified child that is running our endocrine system, our immune system, and our central nervous system. So you literally have to go inside and you have to tell the little child I'm here with you. I'll be okay. And I actually have this exercise in the book uh, where you you just take a breath in, then you let it out slowly. You pick a number between one and ten, and that's the age at which you are stuck. And you go into a magic garden where there are uh, trees and there are angels and there are uh, beautiful birds and a pool of water and everything is safe. You can't possibly hurt yourself. And then you ask that little child, it's very often age seven, when you know the magical child wakes up to the intellect and the secondary teeth come in, and you bring that child over to you and see if you can get that child to sit on your lap. And then you soothe him or her, and then you take your leave from the child. Now, way back in the 80s, you know, everyone was doing this inner child work. Well, take your inner child to work. You know, they bring in a teddy bear. That doesn't, that's not a good idea. What you want to do is grow up that inner child. You grow them up by saying, I love you. Sometimes the inner child, by the way, won't even come over to you. Yeah, and this all takes place in your so-called imagination, except that it's real. And right. then for 40 days, you visit the child every day. It takes two minutes. And then you say to the child, I love you and I will be back. I will be back. I will never abandon you again. Because what do we do? We cut off the part of us that is so scared. And that's how we create the pain body. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take a short break. And I, I want to definitely address this. It's so interesting. And I love Doris Cohen's work, too. And we, we might have people call in. I don't know. I've got a couple of people rolling in here. We'll see how we feel. I'm talking with Dr. Christian Northrup. We're going to take a short break. Her book is out, The Women's Bible, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, the newly revised edition, available now. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Stay with me. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for coming back after the break. I'm Diane Ray, having an amazing conversation here with Dr. Christian Northrup about her newly revised Women's Bible out now, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, all kinds of amazing information in here. And it's just so fun to talk to Dr. Northrup about um, everything that she's sharing in the book and some old friends that we have in common and, <laughs> you know, chatting about the good old days. So 
uh, we were talking before the break. I mean, just the way that you empower people with the information in the book and a lot of the stories, and I love the stories that you share in the book as well. I think that really adds to it. You oh, know, yeah. it makes it come alive when when you can read someone else's experience and um, some of the stories you share in the book. Um, and you were talking a little bit about the pain body. And I was reading a story uh, right before we started the show about a woman named Martha who went through this whole experience really kind of dancing with the pain body. And she did this whole, you know, long drive to New Mexico and was able to kind of work out all of this stuff that was causing her pain and how, and how interesting when you make these connections, how your physical pain will go, will go away. Yes. That's the thing. So, you know, the body is always trying to get your attention to bring you to the root cause. And that story of Martha, um, was an astounding story because the cause, uh, wasn't even in this lifetime. And, you know, Norm Sheely, uh, and also, Norm Sheely, uh, a neurosurgeon, the founder of the American Holistic Medical Association, uh, very often would find that if he did a past life regression, he could get to the root cause of a um, of an illness. You know, and Carolyn Mace talked a lot about that sort of thing. And Martha's story, I wanted to put that story in because it was related to a past life, but it came up in this life. And I think one of the things to remember, and who's that wonderful uh, Harvard psychiatrist? Um, oh, Brian Weiss. Brian Weiss has done wonderful work, because I want people to know that when a past life situation is causing an illness, it usually means that it is, that it's ripe for uh, transforming, for healing. You know, uh, again, I think we have to get to a place of, of no ego where we're kind of ready to, we're ready to hear what needs to change. We're, we're ready to do all that. Because, you know, one of the things that is my secret is that I have been willing to assume that everything that's ever happened to me is emotional and that. I somehow have been unconscious about something and it is my job to find out what it is. And so, you know, I never, ever, ever do that thing that so many people do. Well, this is just physical. You know, this is just physical as though there ever could be a separation. There never is. But people, um, it's because they blame themselves. It's from having ch childhoods where they have been blamed for things. So... Anyhow. And we just hold on to that. You know, one of the things I've always loved about you is that you are not afraid to talk about a past life experience, even the fact that you're a medical doctor that went to Dartmouth who is admitting that that's a possibility. I love I love that because it's something that's always fascinated me. And you also talk openly about your interest and your love for astrology. Um, and I know you've had to have gotten a lot of flack Oh, oh, my God. That, on, over the on years. The, the first edition of this very book, I put in a few things about, you know, the Saturn return and all of that stuff. And the and the editor at the time said, could you please not put this stuff in there? It really makes people uncomfortable. And now I realize that um, as I have gotten older and just uh, said my truth, what I have found is, so many people relate to that because they've spent their whole lives not telling the truth. 
so there you go. I mean, right. yeah, there That's you interesting. go. Interesting. Now, were you always interested in in metaphysical things? Because I always had that interest in. And I was brought up Catholic and went to CCD and all of that and did all the fun rituals that we did. But I, I was always fascinated by it. But I would ask questions. And I remember asking, uh, her name was Sister Hyacinth. And I said, was Mary Magdalene Jesus' girlfriend? And she said, no, wasn't really like that. That's a whole other story, I guess. But I mean, I, would, I was always questioning things like that. Um, I mean, were you always interested in that or was it just something that kind of, as you got a little older, you explored or? Oh, no, I was always interested. Always, always. I read all of Edgar Cayce in my teenage years. I read um, Natives of Eternity about angels when I was 12 by Flower Newhouse. So I was always interested. And when I first discovered all that stuff about the age of 11 or 12, I was so thrilled. It's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. There's more, there's more that, you know, that, than we know. And I always felt so happy about that. Yes, me too. And I love that, that you're out there and, and still talking about it and letting people know, you know, hey, it's okay to explore some of these things. And as you point out in the book, you know, the, the current medical, um, you know, I guess paradigm that we're using is really not that old. When you look back at things that people are studying, like Ayurveda and you know the Chinese medicine system, where they they do take into account, you know, the mind, body, spirit, all of those things. Oh my God! When you it, look, it's so at fascinating, it, right? Yeah, true, true, true. Holistic medicine is medicine that takes into account all of that. Ayurveda from India as I believe the basis for traditional Chinese medicine. And, you know, all the emotions are part of that. Um, and then, of course, there's all the herbology. Uh, there's a, a whole thing called medical astrology. You know, Pisces rules the feet, Aries rules the head, Sagittarius rules the thighs. I mean, there's just, you know, Gemini is hands. There's just all kinds of things. In fact, uh, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, uh, said that if you were not a good astrologer, you were not going to be a good doctor. So there you go. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's, I know. it's so it's so interesting. Yeah. So um, since we are doing live radio, we I have a caller. Would it be okay to grab a question and see who's Absolutely out there? Absolutely, sure, sure. Let's just wing it and see what happens. All okay, right. we're going to uh, grab Mary Alice here. Hi, Mary Alice. Thanks for calling in today. Hello. Hello. How are things in New Hampshire? Uh, getting warmer. <laughs> yeah, that's getting... for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mary Alice, I'm so glad you joined us today. And do you have a question for Dr. Northrup? Uh, yes. Uh, I am 55 years old and uh, almost uh, completed a year without a period. So I'm on uh, estrogen and progesterone um, because I was suffering greatly with hot flashes, night sweats. I had to go on them. But um, since then, about a year and a half ago, um, I got diagnosed with osteoarthritis. And um, I wasn't taking anything for it because it wasn't that bad. But in December, I got a complete attack of um, just, you know, really bad muscle pain, muscle spasms in my knees, my hips, and my shoulders. 
both of my feet went numb and a uh, tingling sensation and uh, you know, I could hardly walk on them and uh, you know, a week later, two weeks later, you know, lost several layers of skin on the bottom of my feet. Um, so I went to my primary care physician and they put me on um, meloxicam, 7.5 milligrams a day, and cyclobenzaprine, 5 milligrams at night for the muscle spasms. Um, I went to go see a rheumatologist about three weeks ago and she suggested that maybe I know, cut, cut back on the meloxicam because of uh, possibly getting high blood pressure or uh, stomach ulcers, of which I have not uh, encountered at all. But, you know, it, only like three days or three or four days after, you know, cutting the dose in half, I got an attack again. And it was much worse than the attack I had um, in December. The same thing happened. Both of my feet went numb on the bottom. Um, this time, you know, I have complete blisters on both balls of my feet and both heels of my feet. Um, and it, it just is, it's just getting worse. And, and my left hand is numb. Um, sometimes I wake up, I can't even open my hand or have use of my hand. Um, and I've talked to the, you know, PCP, I've talked to my rheumatologist, and they're not really, you know, giving me any solutions. They're just giving me medication to mask the symptoms. I don't know what is causing this and how to treat it. But I, okay. I, 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 I become, like, disabled when this happens. Yeah, I can't, yeah. There, okay, so what, what you need to do, you need to understand this is not a meloxicam uh, deficiency. And you're exactly right. All you're doing, all they're doing is giving you things that mask the symptom. They're not getting at the true situation. Now, what I would do is I would send you to a good medical intuitive. Julie Ryan is fantastic. AskJulieRyan.com. Alternatively, you could do one of the cleanses uh, of Anthony Williams' medical medium. Um, his book, The Medical Medium, uh, gives you all kinds of things to do because you're suffering from cellular inflammation. It's in your feet, which means that there is something asking you to walk in a new way, to do a new pathway. If we had time, you know, we could go into what's going on in your life and all that, but you need a medical intuitive reading, like what is the uh, baseline cause of this, and then also you need a way to do a detox to give your body a break to get rid of that inflammation. And one of the best ways to do that is with the uh, medical medium's 40-day cleanse, which is very easy and very delicious. So that's what I would recommend. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Sure. Well, thanks okay. so much, Mary Alice. See, that, that was so uh, kind of how perfect – uh, example, <laughs> you know, what we've, what we've been talking about of, you know, just kind of doctors and, and the medical establishment will, you know, kind of cover things up and I'm sure her doctor's trying to help. I oh would, yeah. Would oh hope, yeah. And you you know, know, what's so interesting to me is I've been out of direct patient care for a while now and it's all new drugs, but they're the same thing. 
So that while we were sitting here talking, I thought, well, I don't know what meloxicam is. Well, I went. It's just a newer generation non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, like ibuprofen, but stronger. See, it's like same to all different dress. It kind of wake me up when it's over. It's like when they come up with all the new birth control pills or the new hormone replacement. They're not any different. They're just slightly different variations of the same theme. Yeah. Right. It's just marketing, right? It's kind of slick marketing where, you know, there, I mean, I was just thinking yesterday, I'm watching TV and I think there was two or three pharmaceutical ads in a row on one of the news channels. Well, that's just, we, we wouldn't know. have news channels or politicians if it weren't for the um, pharmaceutical industry. They pretty much own the planet at this point. So, right. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's so big that it, it's scary to even, to even think about, but that's what people are being sold. You know, this is, and that takes the power away from us, which is what your book does is giving the power back to us well, to ask questions. Yeah. And, and women always say to me, this, this book, when I read it, it tells me things I already knew. I just never heard a doctor say it. Do you see how? Right. That is just so important. I knew that this was true, but I never heard anyone say it. Right. And you even mentioned that we should take into consideration the doctors and their experience as far as like, you know, a doctor having a bad day coming into the room of a patient and just kind of, you know, his his energy or her energy kind of transferring to the other person and... um you know, affecting them physically and how that works and that we should question our doctors and and ask questions and they're not infallible and they're humans like, like all of us and not to just take something at at face value, you know, and just do it. Like we should ask questions, right? I think people are uncomfortable. uh, Right. Because here's, okay, here's what happens. Remember earlier we talked about the little kid inside that's running your central nervous system, your immune system, and your endocrine system. Well, that little kid goes into the doctor's office, and they're used to the well baby checkups and getting the shots, and going to the doctor was never a fun experience. So that little kid freezes when you go into the doctor. And you, I've watched adults who are nurses completely lose their ability to think when they were in the doctor's office, or many, many people... Uh, will give you the the story of they go into the doctor with their elderly parent and the parent um, denies all the symptoms for which they made the appointment because they're trying to look good for the doctor. There's this thing about I've got to look good for the doctor, like like that's an authority figure and you have to be a good little boy or girl. This makes no sense, but it has to do with that trauma from the past. Right. And I would suspect that if Mary Alice digs a little bit, you know, maybe does the detox and, you know, takes a look at, at everything, the whole picture that she would be able to really figure out. What's oh, going ab- on. absolutely. 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 But you know, the first thing you would do is you'd remove, um, you know, red meat, which is rich in ar- arachidonic acid and you'd remove eggs and pork and, uh, you know, and do a sort of a vegan cleanse for just a little bit, just to see. This doesn't mean anyone has to live that way. You just have to take away some things, add some things back. But to, to believe that you can stop at just the prescription 
is uh, it's always a bad idea. You're never going to get to the heart of what is truly needed to get yourself well and to stay that way. Right. And it's possible. And that's what you say throughout the book, you know, that we really do. We have that knowing you encourage us and, and especially as women to believe in that. I mean, do you, do you think women just naturally are more intuitive than men? Yes, they are. Now, there's a certain kind of man who's just intuitive, just as intuitive, and that's generally a left-handed man, because they have uh, more access to both hemispheres. And or the ambidextrous man will have access. And and if you talk to a left-handed man, he'll often tell you that he too has felt out of place with his male colleagues. Uh, so that's interesting. That, that um, is interesting. <laughs> yeah, Never thought yeah. heard, of, heard of that. Yeah, and. Um, but it's true that in general, women are we're much uh, we're much more connected to our bodies than our men, and we we tend to learn by going in and down, into our bodies, into the earth, into the feminine. Men tend to go up and out, up and out. So that's why they're interested in you know Buddhist meditation and stuff that's very intellectual. But we really know on on that deep level what's wrong a lot of the times, and we just don't give ourselves permission to believe it. Yeah, and you actually which is sad. I'll tell you, mothers really know, and mothers are talked out of their instincts all the time, but mothers know. Well, isn't there? See, now you're a doctor. You you would know this. Now I I haven't physically had children, you, you know, so I'm not a mother, but. I really think that when you go, when your body goes through that experience, that's, you know, something's tweaked on the dial, you know, things get turned up a little bit because I know my mother was very intuitive and she, she could track me down, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like a homing pigeon. I mean, it was scary uh, how, you know, intuitive she really was, but physically you must become more intuitive as a mother. I mean, I would believe that. Um, yeah, it often does. It, it does do something because think about it. You made that body inside your body. Your body made the eyes, the ears, the nose. I mean, come on, right? Mm-hmm. How could it not be that way? But again, women are in labor. I mean, this is why I went into it. Women are talked out of. Um, they're just talked out of their, their wisdom from day one, starting in, uh, in, the, in the delivery room. I, that's why I wrote the book in the first place. I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like the way a baby was whisked off to the nursery to be cleaned up and then warmed up because they made it cold. I mean, you know, <laughs> I just had all these things to say that made no sense at all. Right. So. And you've been very out, outspoken about, you know, talking or coming out against you know, the proponent of hysterectomies, you know, women just agreeing to doing, doing that without really getting all the facts. And you, and you say very clearly though, look, it may, that may be the necessary approach, but a lot of times it's not. I mean, there's such a high level of, of those kind of surgeries that happen that probably don't need to happen Um, or cesarean births, you know, similar thing. That's right. That's right. They're all of these things. Um, but everyone in the hospital goes along with it. And again, you've got the behemoth of conventional medicine, 
Well, you know, everybody knows that uh, a labor is a disaster until proven otherwise. So therefore, what you do is you treat a laboring woman as a disaster waiting to happen um, just because you're very good at the emergencies. But that atmosphere you see around her is like, would you go into the barn of a birthing horse, let's say? And turn on all the lights and have six strangers examine the horse and constantly be going in there. No, we all know that animals need quiet and peace. There's a very funny um, book. It's a play and it's called Birth. And uh, it's it, by Karen Brody. And the first line is, I want what my dog got. <laughs> right. <laughs> a blanket and some quiet and and yeah. some yeah, and just no one messing no one messing with the with my birth process. Right. Yeah. And and leaving people alone. And I've also heard you talk about um the end of life process and how so often, you know, doctors are encouraged to operate, to go through these uh, you know, gyrations to keep people alive rather than addressing the person where they're at and making it a good, quote, good death. You know what I mean? Where, yeah. so, and, and I love what you've said about that as well. I mean, and just in my own experience, you know, my father was in, you know, late stage Alzheimer's and a doctor wanted to do a hip replacement. And my oh mother my said, God. absolutely really? not. Yes. Yeah. They, because he had fallen in the facility where he was at and they suggested hip replacement. I'm like, really? You know, how are we supposed to explain this to, you know, a person with dementia? And my mother said, no, we're not going to do it. So there, there's that the other end of that of that spectrum, you know, as well. Where and there have been some strides. You know, there's a lot more um, talk of you know people having their own choice in an end of life and and what they want to do. David Kessler's you know written a lot about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the way you leave should be as important as the way you get here, right? Well, you know, it's <laughs> you get to this, come to this earth. There's this wonderful doctor, Zach Bush, who has done a lot of work with birthing women. He's also a hospice doctor. And he talks about how the processes of leaving are very similar to the process of coming in. The only difference is who's waiting on the other side. And OBGYN nurses often become hospice uh, volunteers. I think because we, people drawn to birth are drawn to the big transitions of life. Right. And it's, and the, the fear, you know, that surrounds birth, you know, also the fear around death. Uh, we should, we should talk about that. I mean, people don't like to, to talk about it. It is, it is getting better. I mean, I am seeing some strides in that area where things are starting to change. But it's it shouldn't be. I think it could be a nicer experience. Absolutely, <laughs> I, would, I would hope. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I love the way uh, you know Louise went just in her sleep. You know, she yes. she had sort of um, cut ties with a significant other just before. You know, took his pictures down off the wall. I heard, and then boom. Okay, we're done. <laughs> she went to sleep and didn't wake up at the age of what, ninety-two. Ninety-two. Yeah. yeah. And just yeah. on and just on her own uh, on her own terms. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do I do th think that's important, and I I really ad admire that. And uh, you know, a little bit of Louise is at Unity Village, 
because I brought some of her ashes after her memorial and I, oh, I put I her, it. I put her in the Myrtle Fillmore Rose Garden. <laughs> I, I think she would, I think she would like that. She'd love it. She'd love it. <laughs> That's so great. I think so. So yeah. we have just a minute or two left. It's been so fun to talk with you and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to share this information. I mean, this book, everybody has to have this book and the wisdom of menopause. I mean, both of them, the wisdom of menopause is on my nightstand, which I think every, every woman should have it on their nightstand. <laughs> and it's just such a, an, an amazing achievement. And um, I mean, what's next? Like, now that you've done all this, are you going to rest a little bit? No, I got to finish up the wisdom of menopause. That's the other biggie. And <laughs> um, so that comes out next year. I also have an online course of how to be powerful in a female body. I've recorded that. That launches in July. So that'll be coming out then. And um, yeah, then I want to just, you know, like maybe play my heart more. I don't want another deadline, you know, for a while. Right. Yeah. What about the tango? Are you still doing the tango? I have not been doing the tango. You know what's interesting? It's like the tango got into me. It's like in my body, so I don't have to do it. And at this point, you know, nobody's doing close embrace anything anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I'll definitely get back to it. It was, you know, that was really a big part of my life. And I'll probably start by having a party at my own house. <laughs> Yay. We'll be party. Yeah. We'll be partying soon. Things things will I shift so. and change. Yeah. Well, definitely, I will see you online. I love your Facebook videos, and I love the work that you're doing. And when you do your Facebook lives, I like to pop in sometimes and, and say hello. But thank you so much for joining me for the show today. It's been amazing to talk with you. Thank you, Diane. It's my pleasure. Bye. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.